Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13, and we'll actually go to 12. And, and I wanted to, to say the serious thing was that God always gives a second chance. And uh, message number one, which we haven't heard, maybe you know, next time, is that God does give a second chance. But today it's when God doesn't give a second chance. Numbers chapter 20, I'm going to read the verses a little bit later, but I just want to start out with this about 25 years ago, 
as a youth pastor in the Shire Hopkins Estates area, there were two uh, second generation girls who were more first generation, they could call them 1.25, is they were pretty much green. And uh, Brenda and Lisa were two very interesting girls. Um, conflicted in some ways because I think they had been brought up in church, but in other ways had come to America were enjoying a new way of living. Not necessarily the best way of living because, oh, they like to have fun, they like to enjoy things, they like to do things. Which in and of itself is not bad, but they just wanted to enjoy life. And uh, I was in charge, I was the home fellowship leader for the Friday night Bible study. And uh, I used to give rides in the days when, for some odd reason, uh, we used to drive everywhere to pick up kids. And I'm really grateful that we don't have to do that now. I appreciate all the parents bring their kids out on Friday night and I don't have to pick them up. Long, long days. But I lived in Skokie, drive all the way out to Schaumburg, off in the States, pick up these kids, drive around, and then eventually bring them to home fellowship, and then you have to bring them home and drive back to Skokie. It was long. Really long. And uh, Brenda and Lisa were the kind of kids that were, and I'll be honest with you in this moment of truth, annoying. <laughs> because they knew I was supposed to pick them up. And they would say, they're not coming to Friday Night Home Fellowship. So I'd go, okay, cool. I'm going to have to pick up kids. I got my room in the car. And then when I'm just about to get to the home fellowship, which was a different home, I'd get a phone call. Hey, Brenda and Lisa need a ride. And I cannot tell you how many times I felt like saying, you know what, walk. I don't feel like going back and getting it, but you know, because of the guilt of being a leader, I'd always go. And they were annoying, they were frustrating, to be quite honest. Until the day that until the day they died in a car accident. And when that moment happened, and I reflected on that, I thought to myself, wow, I'm not gonna have another opportunity to minister to that. And I saw myself who I was which was a little messed up, maybe and probably a lot messed up, because my heart wasn't necessarily with them. It was for them. I wanted them to know Christ, but I just wanted them to know Christ in a way that didn't really annoy me. And I will never get a second chance to ever minister to them. Twenty years ago, at the first church that I was at, uh, it was a mess. I was actually asked to leave the church at one point. And uh, being asked to leave the church and the mess that ensued there in my heart when I resigned, maybe about six or seven months later, because of the way things were changing, in my heart, I left the church with a very angry and bitter heart. And uh, even though I moved on to another church, even though I moved on to another church family, another ministry, and the sense of growth that was there, there was something that was in my heart that just never left. It was that bitterness, it was that anger as to what had been done to me. Now, trust me, I'm not saying that I didn't need to change. I needed to change. There were changes that needed to be made. But the way things were done left with that angry and bitter heart. So for the next five years, I hung on to that anger and bitterness. Not in a very visible way, but in my heart. I knew it was there. I would pray. I would do something in ministry. And there was always that voice that said, hey, but you need to forgive. And I couldn't. It's not that I couldn't. It's just I didn't want to. I was angry and I was bitter. The fortunate thing in this event was that a few years later, maybe about five or six years later, some reconciliation occurred with some of the other staff members. But the reconciliation occurred not because bitterness and anger in my heart dissipated. It was because the very things that they complained that I couldn't do, they didn't do, and the church was wrong. My heart rejoiced. 
I rejoice rejoiced because it said to them, Ha! You thought you could do better, but you did worse. But now we can be friends. Is that not messed up or what? I never had a second chance to actually forgive them on God's terms. Because I was too wrapped up in myself. And I always wonder, what was, what was God's heart during those five years seeing me hold on? So today, this is what I want to do. I, I am a firm believer that God is a God of second chance. Please don't misunderstand me. God is a God of second chance, of another chance, of a multitude of chances. But I really have come to a place, even as I read your scripture, that God draws me. <coughs> and sometimes when we think that other chance is coming, in the last few months, I've been reading through the book of Jeremiah. It's not necessarily the most cheerful book if you want to be cheered up or inspired. But I'm recognizing as Jeremiah deals with the Israelites in the last days before they're taken off of captivity, he wants to remind them there is a time and place for our So let's read Numbers 20. Verse 1 says this In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin. And they stayed at Kadesh, and there Miriam died and was buried. Now here's kind of the context. The context is, if you read this passage, it's been 38 years since Israel left Egypt. And that's a long time. It's not like they were traveling from New York, and they were heading to Hong Kong. And they had a long journey, and it took them 38 years. It was like a real short distance. It should have taken them a couple months to get the whole tribe and the settlement of the land. But because of a whole variety of things that they did wrong, even though God continued to give them second chances, they got to this place, and at this place, they have finally arrived, and they're about to go in the land, kind of, sort of, maybe they got a few murders out there, but they're right there. And in the midst of this, some very interesting events occurs. It's pretty simple. People grumble. Verse 2 reads this way. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into that desert? We're here and our lives start to die. Why? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Now, I don't know about you, but I cannot empathize with Moses. And I think if you're a parent, you empathize with him as well, right? Here's what I mean. Have you ever done something for your kids and you give them all these good things and at the end of it, you still No, amen. Am I the only horrible parent here? <laughs> okay, so being the only horrible parent here, the recognition like not all things we have done these good things for you, not Katie, but all the others, and not Katie or Tim, just Christina. Okay, so anyway, you do all these good for them, and you're like, man, this, you got so much, and they go, man, I don't want this, or you don't love me. It's like, what? <laughs> Let's look at the body of work that happened today, and because you can't have ketchup, I don't love you? And so I can understand Moses. I mean, here you have these people for 38 years. I mean, Moses has stood before God and said, God, I love these people, and you love these people. And even though they've done really wrong, and you should wipe them out, man, let's not do that. It's just not a good thing to do. 
So he, in the heart of Moses, he really loves his people, but he's been with them for 38 years, and it's constant grumbling. Like James McDonald, he says it was a lot of murmuring. Murmuring is like murmur is like one of those words when you hear it, you know, that's murmur. You think of murmur, murmur, murmur. A lot of murmuring and grumbling and complaining. After 38 years, I can just kind of feel Moses like, man, this is, this is grumbling. After all that God has done for you guys, all the chances that God has given you, and yet you still have the nerve to say, God, what are you doing? So I, I, I get that. But the cool thing about this story here is that Moses and Aaron make a very wise decision. Verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly, the entrance, the tent of meeting, and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to the first thing that they did was, you know, that I'm overwhelmed. Let's go see what God has. Maybe God has something to say. So they, they, they're, just, they're right on our target. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 7, now verse 8, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. Moses that, continuing on the right path. Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as the Lord had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, This is great, because he's actually doing what God has wanted him to do. He is following it lock, step, and barrel. Then he said to the Lord, Listen, you rebels. Listen, you rebels. It's like us as parents saying, Listen, Right? Okay, confession. How many of you have ever caught a radio? Every once in a while, it's right across the grass, right? Hey, I'm a horrible parent. <laughs> That's just, you rebels! It's almost like you're crying out loud! Really? Really? You rebels! Your heart is so turned away from God. I don't get this. So he's really, really angry. Must, and notice he says, must we bring you water out of this rock? Man, he is going down so fast. He has been following God. He turns to God when he needs to in this time of help. He's listening to what God says, and now he begins to speak, and it is over. He is screaming at the people, and then suddenly he has raised himself to a place where he doesn't need to be. He should be saying, must God do this? But he says, must we do this? And he's losing it. He says, must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and the livestock drank. Good deal, right? I mean, this is totally good because the very thing that they were murmuring about, the very thing that they were complaining about, God has delivered. God has promised. God has worked through Moses and Aaron when Moses struck the rock twice. Because Moses' memory from Exodus chapter 17, the last time the people murmured about not having water, he struck the rock and the water came out. But something's right. What happens? The Lord said to Moses, Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor his hope in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community. Brings the whole story to a screeching stop. Because as an outsider, I can remember the first time when I read this, I thought, wow, what's the deal here? 
I mean, the people are murmuring for water. Moses did what you said, God, and the water came out, and everybody's happy. And at the end of this, you tell them, dude, no more chances. I'm done. Because you did this, that's it. You will not go into the promised land. And I can imagine that's got to be Moses' big heart. I cannot wait to bring these people into the promised land. They're going to see how good God is. They're going to see how good God's provision is. And then in one moment of anger, instead of speaking to the rock, he struck it. Because suddenly he must have thought he was the Savior or whatever it was. But instead of speaking to it, he struck it. God says, that's it, man. No more chances. Final decision. You're not going to the promised land. You did not honor me. You did not honor me. And for that reason, because you did not honor me in front of everyone else, you're not going into the promise. Now, let's be honest here. Am I the only person that has a problem with this? Am I? Because I'm thinking to myself, hold on a minute. Let's reflect on this. Let's really, really reflect on Look at all that Moses has put up with for 38 years. And then, you know, Bit of rage and absolutely understandable in my opinion. Which is probably why I'm not God. God says, There is no Because I think the thing that we may be missing is that the relationship that Moses had with God is so tight. The fact that Moses would go into the very presence of God and he would be so touched by God that his face would shine and glow. And they had to put a veil over him so people wouldn't be freaked out. The fact that that relationship was so close and so intense leads me to believe that there's something much deeper here that Moses missed the boat on. So it's not just a simple, I had an anger fit. And again, how many of you as parents have ever gotten angry at your kids? How many of you have ever yelled at your kids? How many of you have yelled at kids that aren't your kids? <laughs> I have to, you know, sometimes I'm Anyway, okay, so, but you get what I'm saying, right? In a fit of anger, that's it? And the answer is yes, it is. Because even though God is the God of second chances, the God of another chance, and another chance, and many chances after that, there are times, not always, but there are times when God says there are no more chances. There are no more chances. I have spoken, I have spoken clearly, and you have not listened. In fact, you have turned your back on me. That's it. Now, it's not just with Moses. It's actually an Old Testament thing, in a sense I have here in the First Testament. But if you look at the Northern Kingdom, there were prophet after prophet would come to them and say, turn, repent, God is angry. And they said, no, thank you. And God brought judgment that he promised. I think of Josiah, the revival king. When he inherited the kingdom, the southern kingdom, it was a chocolate mess. They haven't read the word of God in years. And he searched for it, they found it, they followed it, they loved it, and then he went up the battle. And God said, don't go. Do not go and fight the Egyptians. So I said, man, God is on my side. I'm going. And he went and died. No second chance. This was a revival king. The last revival king of the southern kingdom. And yet God drew on and said, no second chance. Not another chance. It reminds me of the southern kingdom here. Ultimately, as you read the book of Jeremiah, the people are running around. What are they saying? They're going, peace, peace. The temple of God is here, man. God is not going to allow Jerusalem.
Jerusalem to be destroyed. Like Hezekiah, bring on the Babylons, man. Bring the Babylonians on. Bring them on, because you know what? They're going to come here and they're going to lay siege to Jerusalem. You know what God's going to do? God's going to take care of them, because the temple's here. Peace, peace. We don't want to hear your message of judgment, Jeremiah. You're a crazy old prophet. You're nuts. Why do you keep talking about this judgment stuff? It's not going to happen. God is a God who loves us and the temple's here. Peace, peace. And they fell. They got started. But it's not just the Old Testament either. It's the New Testament too. It reminds me of the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, they, they have this property and they lie about how much they made so that they keep some of the profits. And what happens when they stand before Peter? Peter says, dude, man, that's not right. Dying right there. No second chance. Sapphira gets the second. Sapphira comes in, says the same story. Boom, dies right there. No second chance. It's not that sense of, you kind of look at it and go, wait a minute, God, I don't understand this. Moses strikes a rock, water comes out, everything is good, and then he can't go to the promised land. Ananias and Sapphira laugh or, or, or try to hide this extra money they're making, and boom, it's over. No second chance. That doesn't make sense. Remind me, too, of the churches in Ephesus, where Jesus tells them, repent, or I remove your lamps. Where he turns to the church of Pergamon and says, repent, or I will fight against you. Instead of being with them, be against them. The church of Thyatira, he says, your unwillingness to repent will lead to your death. At Sardis, he says, repent or wake up, otherwise it will come like a thief in the night. And to the Laodiceans, he says, repent, or our relationship will be broken, it will be lost. There will be judgment. You see, God is a God of second chances. You can see it all the way throughout Scripture. No one can say God has never given anyone a second chance, another chance, or many chances after. This summer at the JJ conference, one of the refrains that one of the pastors made, and there's truth in this, but he stood before the crowd and he said, God, again, 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 and again, and again, and he went on for a while. And that, that's so true. God is a God of second chances, another chance, and many chances. But there comes a time, I think the Bible teaches, that when God's people will not listen to what he has called them to be, he says, enough is enough. Warns them, God warns them, but he says, No more. No more. No more. No more chances. Now, kind of thinking to yourself, man, this is really like a down message, isn't it? Aren't we supposed to be inspired and encouraged? And I've had a freaky week. Uh, not because I turned 53. I'm glad to be at least 53 because back in June I took this train 52 and I went to the end. Turning 53, and then I'm reading this book. It's called They Both Died at the End. Library. It's a really great time. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta think to yourself, what do you read? What the, it's, it's interesting because in the future, there comes a place where they know what day you're gonna die, and they call you about midnight and say, Today you're gonna die. So it caught my eye because I'm thinking to myself, what is it like to know that this is your last day? You're gonna die today, man. You've got like 24 hours, you probably even have less than 24 hours. To do all the things that you want to do. And I would not, I mean, I would recommend this book if you're kind of squeamish about language in some way. Some of the others, it's not really bad, but it's not really, you know, it's, it's not something that's going to 
Right. It might depend. But it's not really, a, it's a good book because it made me think. What would it be like if this were my life to me? But what are all the things that I was running around and, and, and trying to do? And, and what would I try to get? What would I try to, what would I try to reach? What would I try to get? This is my last chance, man. Because after this, I will never have another chance to minister. What happens if I got the call tonight, like they do it tonight, it's 12 04, and they said, today, Frank, is the day that you die. And I was sweating up until maybe 11, 15 when we finished this, wondering, this is my last chance to tell the church something about God. Because as I've been looking at this book, even as I've been reading Jeremiah, I recognize the reality that's part of my life, is that I've gotten to a place where I make God in my image. I have made God in my image. And what I mean by that is God is a God of second chances, man. I have forever. I have forever security, and I'm going to be secure forever. I can do whatever I want, and I'm secure. And I don't think that's the message of Scripture. I think Scripture teaches us something just a little bit different. Our security, our security is God. Who He is and what He does. But we can't assume the security where we do whatever we want and we have to make God for our own And where we run around and proclaim peace, 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 everything is good. And we live how we want. And we say, this is what I think God is like. And you ask, where did you find that? I don't know. But this is where I find that God is like. And I picked up another book this week. It was called Bitten by a Camel. And it was by a man who's, the bottom line is this. He says, leaving church and finding God. And as I read that book, I recognized that this man, in his scholarship, and his understanding of scripture, had made God to be the God he wanted. That sin isn't it. Sin isn't a problem. The problem with people is that we're not living to our fullest potential. We're not being the blessing that we're supposed to be. And I think there's truth in that, but it is not the whole truth. Because sin is a problem. Sin is a problem. Sin is the reason why Jesus came. To deal with it. He took a chance. So that we have many chances. So that message of forgiven, forgiven, forgiven is so but if we walk down that path continually, with no sense that the God that we serve really does sometimes say enough is enough. The God who can turn to Moses when he is so close to. And he glows and he says, your anger has canceled out your misery. It's huge. It's huge. And, and to me, I don't know why this came to me through the city. I don't know what the reason was for this. Um, but my sense, ultimately, is that myself, and I don't know where everyone is at, but they have not sat down, but I myself have become overly I have gotten to a place where I see God as a God of second chances. And another chance. And many chances. Over and over. And I'm on board with that. And I think scripture is true. But I've come to a place where I have to wonder. Does the way I live really reflect what I believe about God? Or does it reflect what I believe? I think as a church, and I listen to what's going on, and I hear the stories of how we struggle in relationships. When I see all the difficulties that people have, many times people have bad decisions, and see all of these things going on, I'm wondering, are we made God in our own image to a place where we can 
actually do something that God wants us to do and then say, it's okay because God didn't say I could. Or God said this, or he becomes someone that you want him to be rather than someone who has really revealed himself to be. And then I look at myself and go, that's me. I feel like this summer with having that stroke, though it wasn't a serious thing in every life, because there was no, I don't know what the term is, there was no disability in the midst of all that. There was inconvenience. It was inconvenience for two days and then put on medical leave for six weeks, which was a lot of convenience. It was awesome. Thank you so much. You know? But when people go, really, seriously, two days of inconvenience in the hospital, pushing me out to be home because this is so boring, watching like this TV, TV that isn't really. Not reality keepers, I just, it's boring. And, and, and so for me, it wasn't serious, but people keep saying, you've got to think, maybe this could have been worse. You now have a second chance. And for that, I'm thankful. But to get to a place where I'm always seeing God in my image, and not as His, as scared as I bring to And so that's what I bring to us. I'm going to end here because I think what I, I want us to realize is this one. And it's combination. God is God is If you're here today and you're stuck in something <coughs> and you feel hopeless, hopelessly stuck, whether it's some sin that you're addicted to, and you're like, man, I cannot get out of this. I will never get out of this. There is no hope. I believe God is God of Jesus. I believe that He can step in and say, listen, we can do this if you do this. If you repent, if you turn. Come on, we can do this. You may be sitting there thinking, I have a broken relationship. It's not going to get fixed. It's hopeless. That's, there is another chance. There's another chance. No, that's the first part. The second part is we continue to refuse to listen to God. I really seriously think this is also my answer. No. So my encouragement to you today is you know that God has been speaking something to your heart. Ever so you know it. You've known it for days, weeks, months, and years. And yet, if you're confused, you I'm going to beg you to stop resisting. <coughs> stop resisting God is asking you in order to know Him and follow Him. Because we don't always get a second. And I don't want us to get to a place where we look back on our lives and regret the opportunities and chances that we did not take that God gave us to minister to us. It could be a decision that you're about to make. You're about to make a decision and God has said, don't do it. And you say, God, I know what I'm doing and I know that I can always come back and be It's a dangerous path to It's a good path in the sense that we understand the love of God but it's a dangerous path because we don't know when God wants to Because to me with Moses, it seemed arbitrary. Ananias and Sapphira, it seemed arbitrary. Why do we want to teach that's not kosher? And I recognize as I grow older, I feel like I know God less and less. I wonder what's he really thinking and what's he really doing. I really, really want to get to church to a place where God is that we bar heads for
before the worship can actually start playing for us, I just want to give us a few minutes. Hopefully, I won't talk too much. Just stop and think. Let me ask this one question. Try to be Is there something that God has been speaking to you about? Loud and clear. Totally, absolutely, positively loud. If you were to ask me, ask me after the service, I could tell you a few things that I'm very sure that God really wants me to do, and I'm you know, hesitating, I want to do it, or I got time, or whatever. So anything, and I can read you right down, right now, God is asking. And reflect. You got it. Then the next question. You're still hesitant to say, God, I can't do that. Like me. God, I can't do that. I'm not good at it. What would they do? If you're in that place, then ask yourself, God, if I'm, let me ask God to if I made you a monument, where do I believe you? Yeah, that's a tough question. Those are two really hard questions. The questions might not be ultimately inspiring on a Sunday morning, taking through the week, might even be offended, might be angry. I'm not sure. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.